0: Um, and, uh, and as well as some new faces <laughs> um, and uh, so uh, I, wonderful to uh, have this opportunity um, and uh, thank uh, Pastor Luke for extending the invitation for me to be here. Uh, I, I always kind of chuckle when i 'm introduced as the uh, demon director because it, you know it's, it stands as uh, you know for a uh, doctor of ministry program director, but one time my my, my son was sharing like what uh, what his father does to his teacher, and he said, uh, my dad is a demon director. <laughs> and uh, so she was like, oh yeah, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I suppose they, you know, we, we accept everybody. And <laughs> <laughs> Later on, we found, you know, she found out what it stood for, so she was like, oh, okay. And <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, it's so, uh, good to be here uh, to uh, say, um, it's to, to, to kind of like uh, uh, take a little break from uh, some of the usual thing of um, training others uh, for the sake of ministry. Um, now, this uh, I, as uh, we look into the Word here uh, this morning, um, we, we read from John chapter 20, and this is a story that takes place after Jesus' resurrection, you know, right immediately after, right? Um, and, uh, you know it's um it's we we are we are sort of um in this stage i think um especially after we celebrate easter in spring and we kind of go through a, a time we of uh so it's poster, post-easter what we call eastertide um, and you know it's it kind of is a reflection also about our life as christians um what does it mean for us now you know we believe that jesus has has died and then he was raised and you know, we believe all of that, and we affirm that and we say our creeds, um, and this is and many times you know Presbyterians, uh, we are really good at just kind of knowing things in our heads, um, and uh, you know we affirm certain ideas and theology and doctrine. but then I think um, it, we also need to think about what does that mean for us, right Well now what? Jesus has been raised now what? You know we hold all these truths to be true now what? Uh, so you know. It kind of leads to the question of, what are we doing here? What are we doing? Uh, what are you and I doing here in the Philadelphia region at this particular time in the 21st century, being who you are, right? With all of the ways that you've been formed and shaped and molded. Do you have a purpose for the, in the larger scheme of things? And that is the kind of question that I think we are called to grapple with in Eastertide. And uh, you can ask yourself the, this question not just for yourself, individually. Because, um, you know, it's that existential question. Well, what am I here for? I don't know. And, you know, some, some of us are we're going through the midlife crisis. And, you know, what am I doing? What have I accomplished? You know, it's not just that. It's not just that. But what are you doing here collectively as a church, Right. What are you supposed to do as a group, as people who are followers of Christ? What are you, what are you here for? And, uh, you know, having gone through church planting, uh, life myself, and, uh, you know, you are kind of going through that whole process as well. What are we doing all of this for, right? All of the... And I know there's a lot of work involved in church planting, right? You know, you've got to set up, you've got to break down, you've got to get the chairs all you know, done, and, uh, you know, it's, it's always a lot of work. Um, and then you, you can be kind of thinking, what, what are we all doing all of this for? What is the church doing here, in the here and now? What's our mission? What's our purpose? What are we here for? And this is a key passage for that question. Um, and as we kind of seek to answer that question, I think we need to provide some context um, and and uh, because this is such an important question, uh, and this is a, actually a, a, a really a key passage for us um, in terms of redemptive history, you know, and kind of, kind of the story of God redeeming the world, um, I think we need to set the context by starting at the very beginning, in Genesis chapter one. <laughs> right in the beginning, God creates Adam, uh, and I'm uh, and and I said Genesis one, but I'm kind of thinking more specifically Genesis chapter two, uh, and the text says that God sculpted Adam out of clay, right? Remember that story, right? God shapes Adam out of clay. And the story, or this story, when, I, when it's told, it always reminds me of Michelangelo, you know, the sculptor. And I, I heard that it was said that um, he would look at a block of, of rock and then he would look at it, and then he would see a form of human being inside of it. And he would, uh, as he sculpts away, as he chisels away, he's trying to br- you know, bring that form out and free it from all of the other things that's, uh, uh, that's around it. And so he would get this block of rock, and um, by the end of his work, the, the, the block of rock had turned into a beautiful likeness of a human being. Um, and uh, you know you find them in museums and uh, you know all around the world, and uh, you know they're revered and and, uh, and, and photographed and you know uh, and they're just uh, held up uh, as this great example of art um, and it's beautiful. Uh, it, but in the end, if you think about it, if you think about it, a rock is a rock, right? <laughs> this block of rock is a rock. It's not, and a lump of clay is still just a lump of clay, no matter how beautiful it looks or how human-like it is. It needs life to become a human being, and only God can give that life, and God breathes into the clay, the story says, and Adam becomes a living human being. Um, and I kind of think about this as the first kiss of life, you know, if, any of you who kind of did the uh, mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, because that's kind of, you know, we, we kind of think about it as like this really kind of spiritual kind of a thing, but it look it's very kind of physical um, in the way that it's portrayed. Um, it's a mouth-to-mouth, and uh, and it's not resuscitation because he's not, God is not bringing Adam back to life, um, but he's giving adam life for the very first time so what what do you call this uh, you know mouth-to-mouth suscitation i don't know uh, and um, and so so does and it, and what happens in the story is what what we have is this is the beginning of the world it's the dawn of creation right um and it's the beginning of everything it's the beginning of our life with god and it's the dawn of every all, all things that are living and that's the context now notice this after god makes adam and eve um, it says that he blessed them and he gave them a mission. Um, and this is from Genesis 1, 28. And uh, this is what the theologians call the cultural mandate. It's like, you know, what, what, what's all of our life and about? You know, all of the days that we spend uh, life, our life doing, what's it about? And, uh, and God says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He, and you know, and uh, so, so it seems to be like this universal kind of a thing. You know, Of course, this is for all of man, humankind that's uh, as subsequent. But, but for Adam and Eve, what he does is he puts them in a specific place. He puts them in a garden. And he, and he says, work it, take care of it, cultivate it, And Adam and Eve has a mission now from God. You know, like, uh, this is how they're to spend their days. It's it's a purpose in life from their maker. They are to love God because, you know, they they walk with God in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. You know, they're to commune with Him, live with Him. And they're to love each other um, and take care of each other and be a companion. And they're to carry out the good work in their own little piece of creation, in their corner of creation. They're to be in the garden. In other words in the neighborhood where they're living, you know, in the community where they're, and uh, bring, cultivate life, bring about life in that specific place where he has called them to. All right, so now we fast forward many, many years to John chapter 20, and here at the end of the Gospel of John, you can kind of see some of the parables, right? Because you see some, some, something very similar happening. Right after resurrection, Jesus comes And he meets with his disciples, and he breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. I want you to focus on this story and see what this story has to teach us about our life and what we've been put here on earth for, you know, in this particular time, in this particular place. Now that we know that Jesus rose from the grave, and, uh, you know, he says to his followers, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And that is going to be key for us, right? Um, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus and you believe all of the things that you, you know, say that you believe in your creeds, uh, that he won eternal life for, for us by his death and resurrection, then you are somebody who's been sent by Jesus into this world. You've been sent just like every other believer throughout the ages from the time that Jesus breathed his spirit into his disciples. This is is what you are about. That sending is your mission. That sending is your mission. That's what you, as a church, are doing in the here and and now. Okay. Now, the first point that I do want to make in this uh, sermon is um, um, because... As as he's sending his disciples, first of all, he wants to deal with their fears. So that's the first point that I want to make. It's the risen Jesus and our fears. Look at how the story opens up. The disciples heard from Mary, uh, who went to visit the tomb on Sunday morning, and then she comes back and she reports this, this incredible news. That she had met Jesus, the risen Jesus by the empty tomb. And they remember that Jesus had said all of these things, and this was how it was gonna be, and this was how it's gonna happen. Yet when Jesus comes to visit them, they know all of these things, they remember all of these things, they hear, heard the news. But when Jesus comes to them, what are they doing? They're hiding. They're hiding uh, behind the locked door. Why are they hiding? Because they're afraid. They're afraid. <laughs> Until they encounter the risen Jesus face-to-face and they receive the Holy Spirit, there are people who are ruled by fear. Now, I can't really blame the disciples <laughs> for being afraid. Uh, you know, there was a time when I used to read these stories and they are like, Ah, man, you know, these cowards. <laughs> Actually, they got a lot to be afraid of. <laughs> There's a lot of things that they, that they should be afraid of, you know, because their life had just fallen apart, Right? Uh, they, 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 Jesus dies a gruesome death <laughs> Tortured and shamed at, And on the cross And uh, they, their faith, had just, their world had just collapsed You know, the, the world, the, the faith that they had put into, into this one man And, uh, you know, they all <laughs> shot to shreds And they're, they're traumatized They're confused They're on the run Of course they're afraid Of course they're hiding They don't know what else to do um, they are going to, so as, as far as they were concerned, they were going to just stay put behind that locked door and then until the, the, the storm blows over and then maybe we'll kind of, you know, peek out and maybe see what, what we're going to do after that. But they were going to hide because this, they were afraid. And I think that is a picture of us so oftentimes as we go through life. We have a lot of fears. If I'm, if I'm going to be honest and i i sit still for a little bit and i can kind of think reflect on what's going through my mind what's going through my mind what is the static that's going on in my mind a lot of it's anxieties a lot of it's worries You know, it's kind of this drone that kind of keeps going round and round and round. And, uh, you know, it's like the background noise of all of our lives. It's the worries and the fears and the anxieties. You know, what happens if this and what happens if that? Oh, I got to do, you know, that stress and uh, that relationship, that person. And, you know, like my job, my education, all of that stuff is just always going around the back of our minds. We are fearful people. Let's be honest. Um, and uh, we get anxious we get insecure we get stressed out we get jumpy about so many things in life you know when we i tell you what i mean it's 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 so strange you know we we get fearful when things change oh man it's 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 changing things are changing we get fearful when things don't change oh, you know why are not things changing for the, you know the way that we want it and, and uh, we're afraid when about what people can do to us or what people can say about us or what? Are, oh man! If I do this, then what are people going to say to me? And and uh, uh, we we're afraid of uh, what people can't do for us and how they're going to let us down. We're afraid of so many things. So sometimes we fly off the handle, don't we? Some, sometimes it kind of just explodes and uh, we just do some stupid stuff, <laughs> make some rash decisions, and um, we get paralyzed when we should be doing something. <laughs> You know, and uh, we put our heads in the sand, and uh, we, we just kind of like, just try to ignore it. Um, we, we treat other people without love and concern sometimes, um, you know, because we we're just simply thinking about our own survival. We're just fearful about how I'm going to make it, so, well, you know, I can't really think about you. <laughs> and so, so we just uh, kind of do these things. We, um, we, we, we make life decisions based upon our fears, um, because we are afraid of what might happen or what might not happen. Fear is such a big theme in our lives. In fact, I see that the way that we do church <laughs> is often marked by fear. Um, fear churches, of, uh, and uh, I've seen a lot of churches where we huddle, you know, inside a church. And it's, it gives us safety, it gives us comfort, at least I can control this, you know, and uh, so we kind of, kind of come, and uh, we find, you know, uh, try to find refuge from our fears. You know, we kinda try to get hidden away uh, from the big bad world, um, and just like the disciples before Jesus came to them, we, we and we like. And I see this kind of happening you know with churches when um, we like our church with the style of music, you know, with the style of preaching, with the kind of doctrinal flavors, uh, the kind of cultural kinds of flavors that with programs with ministries that will minister to us, and membership that fits into our preferred demographic. And I've seen churches that are willing to leave, willing to fight if. If that gets messed up, you know, if, uh, if the way that we prefer uh, changes for the sake of welcoming, perhaps, outsiders, um, or the kinds of people that make us uncomfortable to start to become a part of church, and we're willing to fight about this. We're willing to leave for the sake of this. But have you ever noticed that how in the Bible, whenever God comes to visit His people, do you know what his first words usually are? He says, usually, what he says to them is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. What's he saying? God's got this. You know, when, when changes, you know, things happen, when things are still, seem to be like there's just no, completely chaos. What's he saying? Do not be afraid. God's got this. He's still in control. He's still on his throne. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. His first words to them are, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. You know, when we are afraid, I I think Jesus knows that we are afraid. (laughs) He knows what our insecurities are. He knows what we are fearful about. So he he, he knows this, but he, he, Jesus comes to us, and uh, the first thing that he wants us to, to to get is, hey, don't don't fret, don't get agitated, be calm, be brave, have faith, all is well. As a matter of fact, you know, you remember this is after right after the resurrection. If you really understood that you're living after the resurrection, you will realize that it's more than well. It's more than well. It's all right, (laughs) you see, because Jesus has risen. So peace be with you. It's the word from God for us today as well. In another account of Jesus after the resurrection in Matthew, and this is the sort of the more famous commission, right, Uh, 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 words of Jesus after the resurrection, Jesus tells his disciples something very similar. He says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and watch this. Surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. What is Jesus' answer to our fear? I am with you always, right? I am with you always, so don't be afraid. Um, Now. I realize that, that there's a lot to be afraid of in this world. In Genesis chapter 3, and you know, God, God is aware that there's a lot of things that we, we are afraid of in this world because in Genesis chapter 3, something terrible happens that completely changed this world and our life to the core. Adam and Eve. They, they disobey God, and we get separated from God, right? We, we are away from the garden. We get kicked out of the garden, out of God's presence. We, we are forsaken. We're cursed. We're all alone in this world. Every day, we see something in the news. You know, when you get those alerts, you know, in your phones, and, uh, you know, you turn, turn, you turn, you look at it, and it's, it's a bombardment of reminders, this world is not the way it should be. You know, this world is an unsafe place. This world is, uh, is it's, uh, there's just so many things that's wrong in this world. And you uh, it get something every day, that the reminder that this world is terribly broken. And from time to time, we ourselves experience some of that brokenness in our own lives. And it comes crashing into our own lives. And we experience personal loss. We experience an injustice. We experience Things that are a tragedy against us in, in our own lives, and we are reminded that this world isn't the way that it's supposed to be. But um, here in Gen- John chapter 20, the reason that Jesus says, you know, peace be with you, you know, he's, what he's saying is, he's reminding the disciples, I know that the world is terribly broken, and I have come to change all of that. I've come to change it. Uh, Even though he was in God's arms forever, even though he had never done anything unrighteous or impure, Jesus himself was the one that was forsaken. He was cursed. He was left to die alone on that cross. And something marvelous happened. Jesus rose from the grave. And because of that, we get welcomed back into God's arms. The separation is over. Lost children are found, and they're brought back home. That's what Jesus was saying after he rose from the grave. Saying, peace be with you, I come to bring peace. (laughs) Do you believe that? If you believe that, then there's a change. Something happened to the disciples. If you read through the book of Acts, it's all about all of the change that happened to these guys. After this, they don't hide behind closed doors anymore. They, they go all out, out into the streets and start sharing all over the world about the good news of what God has, has done in Christ. And they start leading people from all kinds of ethnicities and cultures and walks of life to faith in Christ. And um, it's not like they didn't pay for it either. It's not like, uh, you know, just kind of, yeah, everything will work out for you. You know, you're going to get red carpet <laughs> thrown out for you all the time. It's not like that. They, they, it, it says that the first church got locked up Beaten up, ostracized, falsely accused, fed to the lions in the circus, set on fire at the stake, ridiculed, threatened, put to death. So they, they paid for it. And, and it, and this goes on today still. Um, we are living in an age today when the persecution of Christians around the world is perhaps at the highest that it's ever been. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of, I'm talking globally. It's just that, you know, we who, who, you, U.S. Christians here, we, we got it pretty easy. <laughs> uh, and, um, and when U.S. Christians start saying that uh, we are being persecuted because we're losing our position of privilege in the culture, then Christians from other, you know, <laughs> other parts of the world, they kind of roll their eyes a little bit, you know, and uh, they go SMH, you know, right? Um, but, but, you know, it's, it's because we, we, we are fearful, we get anxious when we start to lose our you know, whatever, right? Positions of privilege. Um, again, it's are people ruled by fear. But back to the first church, you see what's happened. The first disciples weren't afraid. I mean, you know, they, they're sure, they had lots of reasons to be afraid, but they didn't, that didn't stop them. They weren't ruled by it anymore, you see? They knew that they were sent by Jesus into the world. They knew they had his spirit. They knew that Jesus was with them. So they, they went forth, they went forth. What about us? What are we afraid of this morning? How is your fear ruling you and holding you back when Jesus is sending you? Right? And we just kind of (laughs) uh you know, I'm kind of gonna gonna stay here (laughs) in, in 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 my safe space. How is your fear holding you back? And I think um the first thing is, I mean, we're just like the disciples in many ways, right? Until they meet Jesus face-to-face, there are people who are ruled by fear. And so, we need to meet Jesus. We need to meet Jesus. We need to spend time with Him. Um, you know, even when we go through all of the church things, right? We come to, we're part of our ministries, and we're kind of a, a part of the worship service, and, and you know, we, we do all of these things. But still, you can fail to meet Jesus and spend time with Him. And, and Jesus wants to meet with you. And because uh, he, he wants to fill you with courage. He wants to fill you with faith. And He wants to give, remind you of the good news. <laughs> um, and we need to, to spend time with Jesus for that. We need to meet with Jesus, encounter Him. And if you really meet with Him, then you're going to change. Um, if it's a real encounter, then there's transformation. Um, It's inevitable. And we need to listen to Jesus when he tells you, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. I am with you always. It's all one and the same thing that he's trying to tell us. We need to listen to him. We need to hear him. And we need Jesus to allow Jesus to melt away our fears and give us courage. He wants to deal with our fears. Secondly, um, we, let's talk about this um, you know, uh, phenomenon of uh, the, the breath of God. Um, uh, and this is another reason that uh, Jesus wants to give us, is to not be afraid. He says we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Um, when Jesus says, I am with you always... He's not talking about how people say, you know, in the movies, you know, like in Lion King, you know, I am with you always, Simba, you know, like in your, in your memory, right? And, and uh, this kind of sentimental kind of, kind of uh, being with you, right? Uh, but what he's saying is it's much, much more than that. Um, he's saying, I will literally be with you. I'll literally be with you. Um, not just in your heart, not just in your memory, but I will be with you walking, with you, talking to you, empowering you, leading you, and guiding you step by step. you will going go and open up doors that you were meant to walk through. He will go and bring people, um, you know, relationships, encounters that he's, uh, he's set in place. He says, I am going to lead you step by step. I will not forsake you, right? Um, and how does he do this? He says, I am going to do this by living within us through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's what's going on here. When Jesus breathes into his disciples, just, and it, it should bring back the memories of the Genesis accounts, just like at the beginning of the world, when God breathed life into Adam and he became a living being, Jesus is now breathing his into his disciples a new kind of life, a brand new kind of life. And this, it was the very Spirit of God, uh, in the old testament hebrew spirit and breath are the one and the same word right um and uh, so so when when jesus is breathing into them he's, he's bringing into the, uh, breathing the spirit of god into them to give the power of god and the presence of god when you are in jesus you are never alone because god is with you and you will never need to be afraid but not only that jesus is giving them his resurrection life you know it's a brand new kind of life right here at the dawn of new creation Jesus is giving them the Holy Spirit, and it's a whole new kind of life for a whole new creation. Jesus gives them the same power that raised him from the dead, you see? That's what he's claiming, that the the same power that raised him from the grave, he's giving it to his followers. And he needed to do this so that these people who used to be dead would now become alive for the future kingdom. New life for the new creation. I personally know people who have experienced what you would call resurrection. You know, there's the final resurrection, but even, even here and now, there's res- little resurrections <laughs> that, can happen, that we can experience, that we can be a part of. We, I know people who uh, have uh, lived for years, you know, uh, being addicted to crack, and uh, wasted away all of it, lost everything. Um, their health, their, their money, their, their relationships, their families, and for years and years, it was like they were the walking dead. But then God comes into their life and breathes the Holy Spirit into their life, and they're resurrected. And they start to experience resurrection in all of their dimensions of their life. You know, they, they get many of the things that they lost back. And, um, and, you know, now they're living brand new life. And this is foretaste of the new creation that is coming, you see. And this is, we are able to experience this right here, right now. <laughs> You know, it's not just for later, but we experience it right now. Some of us, we're ruled by anger and we don't know what to do with it. You are able to experience resurrection. Some of us, we have self righteousness and pride and arrogance. God says, I can give you, I can bring you out. I can bring you out of that. And He can give us transformation. And uh, we can be witnesses of people who are going through, undergoing resurrection transformation. And we can be on the courtside seat to see that happen. Sometimes it takes years, sometimes it's dramatic. Um, Everybody's story is a little bit different, but each one's story says God is able to resurrect us, He's able to raise us from the dead into new life, He can get you out of the grave. He has done it with countless people, and he's gonna to continue to do it because he is not the God of the dead, but he's a God of resurrection. And he wants to do this with you and me for the sake of us joining in his life and in his mission. In Ezekiel chapter 37, there's a, 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 a prophet Ezekiel, he sees a vision of a valley that is filled with dry bones. And it says he took a closer look And, you know, just to kind of drive that point further home, he says that the bones were exceedingly dry, (laughs) right? They'd been dead for a long time, very long time, so it was very unlikely that they would ever come back to life. Because, you know, because sometimes you hear stories about people coming back to life, you know, like... um, um, I, I lived in Africa as a, as a as a missionary kid for about eight years, and uh, they would print this in the newspapers. I would read about them, and um, um, I heard stories, uh, read stories about people who apparently died after, after a sickness, and then so the family would come together, they would mourn, and they would go through the rites, and then they would put uh, carry them out to the to the graveyard, but. Some of them, they wake up and, as they were carrying them out and then scare the living daylights out of the, the funeral, the funeral uh, goers. Um, but so, so some people do come back to life. You know, There's a chance. There's a chance. You know, like it's Princess Bride, right? Uh, there's a chance. <laughs> it's not all the way dead. Uh, but not with these bones. You see? <laughs> it's just gone. <laughs> no, no, it's all gone. It's all completely gone. The time for waking up is long gone by. Hope, hope is gone. But God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to these bones. And the bones come back together. They get clothed with muscle and with ligaments and with skin. And then God tells Ezekiel, prophesy a second time. And the breath of God, it says, the breath of God, the spirit of God enters into them, and they come back to life. And so what used to be a whole bunch of big pile of bones, they get raised to new life, and they're, they're a mighty throng. That is the picture of the church, you see? That's the picture of the church. When we are raised from death into life in Jesus, resurrection power lives within us because the Spirit of God has come to dwell within us. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave is working in you, is raising you to new life. So don't be afraid, Jesus says. Instead, be filled if, if, um, if something is new, if it's new creation, you know, with all kinds of possibilities, how would you feel? Would you feel afraid? I think that's the natural reaction for us. But what he's saying, Jesus is saying is, don't be afraid, be filled with wonder. Look at the possibilities. Look at the new horizon, new opportunities that opens up. You see, the, 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 the places that you will go, don't you see? <laughs> Don't you see? Be filled with wonder at this. Churches and followers of Jesus go through times when they lose their way. Um, And the, 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 the reason that they lose their way is because they kind of lose sight of this new reality. And they start to focus on what they can see and, you know, what expedient right? We oftentimes make decisions on, you know, what's practical, (laughs) Um, and so we start to have lowered expectations, and they start to go inward, Um, and they feel that the most natural thing to do is to just look after their own, protect themselves, just look out for their own interests, Uh, kind of live life like the walking dead, but Jesus is faithful, there comes a time when he, the risen Jesus wants to meet with them and he wants to breathe his spirit into them. And he wants to give them new life. He wants to usher them into new creation. And it's, this is resurrection, you see. When this happens, we regain what we lost. You know, that, that, what it means to have purpose and mission In this world, for the sake of the kingdom of God, we go from the old dying world, this world that is passing away, and and we're translated into new creation. The the, the world that's coming, the new, the brand new life, right? We hear Jesus inviting us into his resurrection life, and we follow. That's what it means for us to be on mission. Um, Let's talk a little bit more. This is our third point about the new creation. Um, God breathed into Adam and made him into a living being at the dawn of creation. And here, in John chapter 20, Jesus breathes into his disciples and makes them into new people at the beginning of new creation. What was once is now again, but this is brand new, right? Uh, that's what Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. He says, therefore, if anybody is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And you see what they're saying is, the is cannot be where we live anymore. Right? The new now is where we live. So following Jesus into the new life means adjustments. Adjustments need to be made. A wise teacher once said, we watch to see where God is at work and we make whatever adjustments we need to make in order to join God in what he's doing, right? Ch-ch-ch-changes for you Gen Xers out there. That's what we need. We need to make changes. That's how we should live. But, you know, I'm, uh, I'm almost, almost 50, um, and um, I'm kind of realizing, you know, I don't really like changes. <laughs> I kind of get a little crabby when I think about changes. Oh, man, I got to do all of that again. And, uh, and uh, we, we, I think um, I'm realizing that, you know, I think I used to like, I used to think of myself as, oh, yeah, I'm great with changes, but actually yeah, I'm realizing that I'm not. Um, and uh, we don't like changes. I, I think that's for for a lot of us. Uh, when change comes, you know, sometimes what happens is um, when change comes, we feel like, oh, my gosh, my life has come to an end. <laughs> um, and, and um, but it... But I think we have a hard time thinking about changes as this is maybe God is trying to give us something new. God is trying to give us new life. Because in this new life, God is sending us into the world, and He's sending us to be His witnesses. As the Father sent me, in the same way I send you. That's the mission. It's the same mission that brought God's Son into this world in order to participate in all of our sorrows and all of our miseries to give us life for us. This is a mission of love that God has embarked on and that He's per- calling us to participate in it. You know, um, for a long time, I think churches used to think that being sent meant packing up everything and then getting on a plane and flying halfway around the world um, you know, say goodbye to all of your loved ones and head off into a faraway country and then, you know, serve God there. Um, and, uh, you know, my family undertook that themselves. And, uh, and uh, you know, and I think we, you know, some of us, are, we are called to that. But I think um, what that does is sometimes, uh, you know, those are the, we think that we are, those are the sent ones and we ourselves are not. You know, those of us who are here, you know, in our normal everyday life living, we are not sent ones. Um, but I think what we are finding is that you also are sent right? You also are sent right now to your own family, to your own homes, to your own jobs, to your own schools, to your own city. You're missionaries, right? The church is, is on mission. You know, it, it doesn't matter, you know, if you're a, a tiny church that's trying to plant or, or you know, like you, you, you're here where everybody seems to be okay. You're sent. You've been sent. You've been sent by God, to your own family members, to your own neighbors, to your own friends, to your coworkers, you've been placed here on earth to go through, not just to go through the motions of making a living and consuming products and thinking about how best to make yourself happy. Oh, and uh, you know, oh yeah, okay, maybe break off a little something for the missionaries. You know, that's, that's not it. You are the church, and that means you are sent. You've been sent by Jesus as he has been sent. See, a church is a community of spirit-filled people sent by Jesus into this world to be on God's mission of love, sent in the same way that Jesus was sent by the Father to live and to serve as Jesus said. A theologian once said that this way, um, the church exists by mission as fire exists by burning. Once the burning stops, the fire goes out. So it is with you. So it's not only special people who've been sent to do special ops, you know, to go do, who are doing mission. Ordinary, you know, what we call ordinary Christians, ordinary churches struggling with ordinary life stuff, you know, trying to raise their kids and, you know, and, uh, and go through life in this way. Jesus calls every last one of them to participate in the mission of God. You are called to participate because each one has been sent into the nooks and the crannies of their neighborhoods or their relational networks to be an image of God, an image of Jesus Christ there. That's who you are. So I'm going to observe two, two things really quickly about the church being sent in the same way Jesus was sent, and, uh, and then we're going to close. One of them, one of the sending is... Uh, the ways of describing our sending is to be incarnational. Incarnational. Um, John chapter 1, verse 14, described Jesus being sent into the world in this way. And this is from Eugene Peterson's translation of the message The word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. Moved into our neighborhood. We call this the incarnation. The way that Jesus was sent into the world was to live with us and to share in our lives, to experience everything we go through—the highs, the lows, the joys, the sorrows. He didn't come simply to deliver a message. You know, oh, you got the words? Okay, you got, you got it. All right, peace out. Right? He didn't do that. He didn't. He came and dwelt with us. Right? He lived with us. Do you ever wonder why in Christianity God, God doesn't just get one of his prophets to write down, dictate the words that he's the di- uh, th- that is declaring, and, and then tells them, all right, tell the people what to do, and um, uh, you know, tell, uh, tell them to do everything that I command in that book, why doesn't God just send us a text to tell us how to live? right? Or tweet a message, you know, the four spiritual laws of our salvation. Why doesn't He just do that? Why, why doesn't God just produce a weekly podcast that we can download and listen at our, our convenience? <laughs> why does He have to come in person, in flesh and blood, why does God send his son into the world to live a life as one of us losers? <laughs> Why isn't the Bi- just the Bible enough? This should tell us something about God. We don't come to know God simply through ideas or words, right? We come to know God through a personal love relationship, through flesh and blood human beings. We become believers and children of God, not just by studying books and agreeing with ideas or trying to follow moral principles, but we come to know God through a love relationship with Jesus, who didn't just tell us how we should love Him and love each other, but actually loved us first. He showed us, and this is, you know, and came near to us and laid down His life for us so that we would be saved, and that's how we know how God loves us, and that's, that's how people are going to know about it as well, is through your love towards them, through your love for them, right? Through you laying your life down, through your little acts of sacrifice. This is how God, people come to know God. And this was God's mission. Instead of staying out of this messy world, instead of saying, oh man, that place is too sinful, too broken, God moved in. He moved in. And that's how we come to know God. So when Jesus says, As the Father sent me, so I send you. He means imitate Him in His incarnation. We are being told to be incarnational, right? We are being told to move into the neighborhood where people are, become friends, become neighbors, live life in the community, and be a good presence there, be the good news there. To the people that you've been sent to, then you will have permission to share the good news. Because you know you got a lot of people in today's life, today's world. They don't care what you have to say. It's, you know, yeah, okay, I've heard it all before from Christians. But when you come to and come to be come to be flesh and blood and live a life of love, then you have permission to share the good news. Right. You know, and um, so this is the opposite. You know from the way that we usually think about our life direction you know we, we I think oftentimes and I and we, we are all caught up in this you know we want to move away from people and uh, they're messy <laughs> you know it is just a lot of chaos it's suffering okay so we need some peace and quiet so we move away from them so we can have a separate life off by ourselves you know um, move away from the world into nice Christian gated community and uh, if you but but if, if you look around to see where Jesus is going, and then, you know, okay, where's Jesus in this? He's usually going the opposite direction. <laughs> you know, he's moving in the direction of the messy world, away from nice church filled with nice Christians. And, uh, you know, sometimes he kind of looks back at us and says, hey, you want to come and join me? <laughs> uh, when a group of us, uh, like we, we uh, started up an inner city church plant uh, called Germantown Hope in, uh, many, many years ago. Uh, we wanted to intentionally start up an incarnational church. that that, And that meant for us moving into the neighborhood, um, and uh, into a mostly poor neighborhood and becoming neighbors. Um, and, you know, as much as we could, instead of creating our own little exclusive community, uh, we tried to share in the sorrows and the joys of the neighborhood that we moved in. Uh, it, and uh, I, I, I'm the first one to admit it wasn't always perfect. We made a lot of mistakes. We didn't always succeed. Um, but what we tried to do is we tried to cross those boundaries and, and uh, make that connection. We did it because we saw that this was the mission of God's people. And this was the mission that Jesus, sent, uh, Jesus was sent on. What, what is the direction of your life? What's the direction of your church? Are you going the same way that Jesus is going? What trajectory are you on? Are we going in the way of Jesus or are we going the way of the world without giving much thought to where He is leading, Right. And we can think about that direction in another way. Um, It's incarnational. Secondly, it's outward. It's not inward. And what I mean by outward is Jesus doesn't, He didn't come just for the insiders. As a matter of fact, He came for the outsiders first and foremost. And that's where He lived, right? That's where He lived, where the outsiders lived. Think about this. Jesus wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a cave, where people kept their livestock. He, he didn't grow up as a prince. He grew up in the family of a poor carpenter. He didn't hang out with the religious leaders and the church celebrities who, who lead mega congregations of multi-million dollar book deals. He, he hung out with drunks. He hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with tax collectors. He hung out with illiterate fishermen. He was homeless at times. He didn't cozy up to the powerful. He didn't cozy up to the influential and the wealthy. In fact, Um, When a rich young ruler comes to him and says he wants to follow him, he kind of, he sends him away, right? That is, you know, and we think that's a strange way to go about changing the world. Jesus has come to change the world, but not the way that we think about going about making changes the way that he went about it was radically different. We think we need to get into a position of power and of influence if we're really going to make a change. You know, and, the, the, and that's uh, oftentimes the, the way that the church operates too. Okay, we, once we get everything squared away, right? Once everything is, is, has, been, has been set in place, then we can do something. Jesus doesn't do that. <laughs> he, he goes and he goes to, and lives with the outsiders. Um, we, You know, if we're going to make a change for good in the world, Jesus goes the opposite way uh, towards people who are excluded, towards the margins of society. You know, I I think about the lepers in the gospel stories. Um, Lepers were people who were struck with a terrible skin disease. And whoever comes in close contact with them, they they contracted themselves. Um, And so because of that, they weren't fit for society. They weren't fit for, you know, normal Uh, people um, and around normal people in other words in fact the book of Leviticus if you look at that there's laws in there that has strict rules for quarantining the lepers it was the law to have them separated out and put into leper colonies away from the pure people whenever lepers had to pass by pure people they needed to ring a bell and they need to yell out impure impure so that people you know pure people would stay away from them but when Jesus comes on the scene, he does something unheard of. When he sees lepers, he actually goes and touches them. Um, lepers, they would come to him and they would ask him for healing, but they would kind of yell at him from a distance, Jesus, please heal us. And, uh, and when Jesus tries to come to them, he says, No, 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 please don't come near us because, you know, we are impure. And, uh, but Jesus would come to them and he would actually touch their leper skins and he would say, Be healed. And that's how you he would heal it um, and because you know he, he's he's saying that it's not just your your disease that needs healing it's also your social isolation that needs to be healed um so so he comes to them and and you know that would make jesus impure wouldn't it wrong the lepers become pure when jesus touches them it's because he's so pure that the what what he has drives the impurities right out of them and um what that means is, in Jesus, what used to be clean will get uncleaned. What used to be thrown out of community is now blessed, welcome back among God's people. What used to be cursed, Jesus takes on the curse on himself so we can bless and love. You know, we were like the lepers cursed and doomed to live a life far away from the community of love and glory and eternal life, but God moves into our neighborhood in Jesus. He took away our cursedness. He took away our uncleanness and made us His sons and His daughters, included us into His new world. What we have is stronger stuff than the impurity that exists in this world, right? It can drive the impurities right out because we have the presence of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus says, in the same way that I send you uh, in the same way that I've been sent, so I send you, what direction is that? It's in the direction of the impure. It's in the direction of the outcast. It's in the direction of the marginalized, towards the poor, the, the invisible, the suffering. Because such were we, yet Jesus had mercy on us, and He drew near to us. He came outward for the outsiders. A church. Can live as though Jesus didn't come You know, we can still be living by the purity of the laws And say, insiders, circle (laughs) Outsiders, keep away Um, We can still be living by, like as though we're living in the book of Leviticus Not by the new work of Jesus who reversed that and welcomed sinners into his kingdom Or it could be, you know, we're going in the way of the Pharisees Who loved power, who loved money, and who loved status and not in the way of Jesus, who came to seek and to save that which was lost. Yes, many p- churches have lost their way when they gave more attention to programs and ministries for themselves, when they went inward. And so that becomes a good exercise for us. You know, ask ourselves, how much of our efforts are going inward versus outward. Um, I heard, once I heard a story about a church living in a Like wealthy, comfortable suburban community, Um, and um, everybody assumed, you know, like they kind of looked around. Oh, yeah, everybody seems to be doing okay. (laughs) They seem, everybody's nobody seems to be having any needs. Uh, But somebody got curious. Are there any people here that are struggling? Um, Anybody who's poor, who's on the outside, who's invisible because we don't we don't know how to see their struggle? So, so they did some research in their community, and lo and behold, um, almost everybody in the community was. Really, really well off, except for this one apartment complex that was in the community. Uh, kind of hidden away, tucked away in a, in a corner. And, you know, if you were kind of to graph it, you know, the, 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 the annual median income uh, for the whole community is way, way up here. But then you come to that apartment complex, it kind of dips down like a black hole. Uh, so they were curious. Well, what's going on here? Um, so the church went there, and it turned out it was filled with undocumented immigrants. Um, and they're working dirt-low wage jobs. They're scraping together what they have and, uh, so that they can send it back to their families uh, in their home countries. And, you know, in the apartment, they're warehoused in there's poor living conditions, they're, and they're mowing our lawns. They're working on our farms. And the church had no idea that they were there. <laughs> and to serve the needy, they were sending teams by airplanes, you know, thousands of miles away, and they didn't even see the needy that were right under their noses. So the church decided... We need to adopt this apartment complex, and they didn't know what they were doing. You know, they, you know, they, they made a lot of mistakes, and there's a lot of fears, and uh, they're afraid of, um, you know, uh, we don't know what to do. But they were following Jesus, um, they because they saw a mission here. It's the same mission that brought Jesus into our neighborhood. You know, you hear things like this, and and uh, let's be honest, we can we can it can freak us out. Um, and and I think it's important for us to hear what Jesus says when he says, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Calm down and understand what he's saying. I am sending you into this world, but I'm going to go with you, right? I will go with you, (laughs) and I'll be with you every step of the way, and you will see resurrection at work, and uh, we need to feel the wonder of that. Feel the wonder of new creation. Feel the wonder of what has happened in Christ Jesus. Jesus is calling His people and is sending them into this world. And we don't need to be afraid because Jesus sends us and He will be with us. The first thing to do is to meet with Jesus. Before we you know, kind of go out and try to do, accomplish all these things for Jesus, we need to meet with Jesus. We need to meet with Him. And when you meet with Jesus you will not leave in the same way that you came in there's a transformation that takes place your fear will be replaced with courage your isolation will be replaced with the spirit you will receive the good news that jesus has brought into this new world he brought in his new world and he's sending you out on his mission you will claim that you're going to own that for yourself for your church and you will go back to your neighborhood to your relational networks and to wherever God has placed you, and you're going to know that you are there because of God's mission, because you will know that you are sent as Jesus has been sent. You will go into the world that God loves in the spirit of Jesus Christ. May you go forth in the resurrection life. Let's pray. Now, Lord Jesus, come and Meet with us. We know you are here. We invite you. We invite you even to minister to us, into our fearful, to our fearful hearts, to our stressed-out lives, and uh, feel us feeling like we don't have what it takes. But Lord, you do. You have the spirit of resurrection. And you want to impart that to us. That's the reason that you went to the cross. That's the reason that you rose up from the grave, is to give us your spirit. Help us, Lord, that as you breathe your spirit into us, let us breathe in and receive you. And we want to see new worlds opening up for the sake of living on mission with you. I pray that you will be with each one of us individually, that we would go forth in mission to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our families, and also us as a a church. For us to hear you, for us to know you, be walking with you, be very intimate with you, so that we'll be led by you step by step. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Thank you, Lord, for calling us to be sent as you have been sent. Thank you, Lord, for the promise that you'll be with us always to the end of the age. Now give us courage. Give us your faith. Help us to go forth in Jesus' name.